You are listening to an audio broadcast from the Charlottesville Vineyard Christian Church. Okay, so I'm going to begin with uh, 1 Timothy 6. I'm just going to jump right into this. I promised Deborah I'd be done by 1130. It says uh, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through, sorry, 9 through 10. 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. 1 Timothy says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So money can be sometimes troubling. That's... (laughs) An executive from Tyco International, yep. Uh, Bernie Madoff, uh, we all remember Enron. Uh, There's a little cartoon I thought was interesting, given our current. Can you read that? Oh, I'm sorry, the cartoon's next. (laughs) It shows the bank bailout money being poured into banks and then them crushing uh, homeowners. Right, subtle, very subtle. so, yeah, all right, we've got uh, WorldCom as well. These are just a few of the things that, um, that in recent American memory uh, would draw images of abuse of money, misuse of money, uh, abuse of people, whatever the case may be, all for the sake of more money, right? So we know it's pretty clear in our, in our culture in general, it's pretty clear in Scripture that, that money can be used to, uh, for abusive reasons and to cause evil. Um, but on the other hand, money can also be a tool for great blessing. And I thought I'd ask Megan to share. Can you actually come up so we can mic you? But to come up and share just a, a really quick little story about how money what has been a blessing in her life. And I just thought this one story uh, would be really helpful. Um, I spent... Pretty much all of my college years, um, living semester to semester, like, how am I going to pay for books? How am I going to pay for tuition? You know, my college years were, um, were living by faith, to say the least, um, more than at this point, um, most, of my, most of my life thus far. And um, there was one, one semester in particular, I was really short. I think everything was due. I had to get books for the new semester. I had to pay my tuition portion. And I was like, God, I don't know how I'm going to get this money. And um, I think it was like just a day or two later, $500 showed up in my, my box. And um, it was exactly what I needed to cover everything that I had to pay for. So I, I think I cried when I opened the check and was just, I mean, and of course, like I, I knew who the check was from, but it, it, it was still, I knew it was God. You know, this person was just being faithful to what God was telling them to do. So thank you. And there's uh, loads of other stories like that. I think Gordon shared uh, a similar story last week when he was talking through the the Old Testament. But um, it's pretty clear that as you look, again, as you look through Scripture and as you just hear stories out there of people who are walking out their faith and people who aren't walking out any faith, uh, that money can be used as a tool for evil or it can be a, be used as a, as a tool for blessing and good, it, one way or the other. And uh, I think it's pretty clear that um, that God intends for us uh, to use money for good. Is that fair to say? Can we all maybe generally agree on that? Okay. 
Um, great. So that brings us to a couple of, of natural questions. How do I ensure that money is a blessing as opposed to a curse in my life? And, um, you know, maybe do the, the question of do the scriptures tell us anything about money in our lives? And last week we looked at the Old Testament. Gordon walked us through um, some uh, specific scriptures and the general themes that, that emerge in the Old Testament. And this week we're focused on the New Testament. So what does the New Testament say about money? And um, so, again, today is going to be uh, sort of a broad survey of the New Testament on Monday, m- Monday on money. Uh, it's Sunday. Um, and, uh, and, and, yeah, so if you have your Bibles handy, there's going to be a bunch of references. I'm, I will not have them all up. I won't have any of them up there. So, <laughs> And I may be flipping through. That's why I'm not holding the mic today because I just am not talented enough to hold a mic, flip through a Bible, and talk at the same time. I'll be lucky if I get one of those done. Uh, Okay, so the New Testament does focus a lot of attention on the act of giving. As I've been reading through, it's on the act of giving, on the attitude of the giver, and where the money actually goes. And so I thought it would be helpful, for those of you who were here last week, uh, Gordon had broken it up into four separate sections. I thought it would be helpful to just keep consistency with that. So we're going to look at amount, uh, we're going to look at allocation, we're going to look at attitude, and we're going to look at application. Um, And again, we'll be skipping through a bunch of scriptures. So I'm going to start with attitude. Oh, that was a picture from Megan. There it is. Money can be a blessing. (laughs) All right. For those listening to the podcast, I just showed a picture of money coming from the sky. Okay. Attitude. So, uh, bouncing through Scripture, and in interest of time, I'm not going to reference every single one of these, but you can see this list. You've got sincere love. Um, if you, if you want to know the references, I'll just read them off briefly. But 1 John three sixteen to 17 um, talks about a brother in need. Uh, you, seen, you see a brother in need, but you actually have no pity on him. You don't actually do anything about it. Um, means that there's no real, true, sincere love there in your heart. So, uh, John compelling us to, to give and care for others with our financial resources, um, and that being a sign of, of sacrificial, I'm sorry, sincere love. There's also the, the joy and cheer. Um, God loves a cheerful giver. That's 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Um, we, we read that scripture in there. There's a, there's a ton of references in, in 2 Corinthians as well about, about money in general. Um, there's, there's, if you look at uh, the whole of scripture, um, it's very clear that God calls us to be thankful for everything we have. And so I don't have a specific uh, scripture reference for this, but um, you, can, you can just probably open your Bible to just about any page, and um, pretty soon you'll find something that, that refers to us being thankful for what God has given us, and certainly money is included in that. So thankfulness is an attitude or a motive that, um, that we ought to approach money. That's, that seems to be what the, um, the scriptures are telling us. And then there's also faithfulness. You turn to James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. Um, if you are giving of your financial resources for the sake of another, that's a sign of, of faithfulness, that you are being faithful to, uh, to God and to what he's put in your life. Moving forward, sacrifice. There's this, this theme of sacrifice throughout the scriptures that we're actually stretching ourselves beyond, uh, beyond what feels comfortable. 
And um, so I'll actually just read a story from Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. Some of you are probably familiar with this particular scripture. Uh, this is, um, in, in my little Bible here, it's got a title called The Widow's Offering. But Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So we see this this theme, and, and certainly Jesus um, encouraging the idea of, of sacrificial giving. Now, what I would say about that is is we ought to, as we're just real practically uh, considering giving sacrificially out of our own finances, um, we ought to seek God on that. That's something that we want to probably confirm with him before we do so. We don't want to necessarily clear out our savings or our checking account um, just every time it builds up to whatever number um, for the sake of others. This is something that if if God is going to call any of us to give sacrificially at any given time, he'll probably make that clear to us. Um, so that's uh, obviously a, a rec- prerequisite to that is, is having a listening relationship with God, uh, which if you come to Ministry 101 in April, you'll, we'll talk a lot about that. Um, but so uh, very clearly sacrifice is a, is a theme, and obviously not just for money purposes. I mean, you look at the life and, and certainly the death and resurrection of Jesus a massive sacrifice, and, and he calls us to live in the same ways that he lived as he walked on the earth, and uh, certainly sacrifice is a big part of that. So with money, with regards to money, that, that is definitely a theme that touches an attitude or a, a motive behind what we do with our money. Then, of course, there's there's generosity, and uh, if you look at Second Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 6, says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So this idea, and Paul is, is, is talking uh, about sending money, about uh, the Church of Corinth gathering money together and, um, and sending it off. And so he's talking about the idea of, of sharing our finances, specifically our money, our resources. And so he does, he talks about this idea that, if, that the, the sowing and the reaping, uh, if you Hold your money back all the time. If you're always holding back and never giving, never sharing, um, then you're not going to get much. Um, but if you are very generous with your money, then, then you'll receive generosity as well. Uh, so that seems to be the, the direction that, that Paul is taking with it. And so we can say, uh, generally speaking, that the New Testament speaks about this attitude or this motive of generosity when it comes to money. And then finally, this idea of stewardship. Uh, and this is, again, one of those like thankfulness that you can find all over the scriptures. Um, this idea that God, all of his creation is his. He, he owns it all. We, you know, if you really think about it, we don't own any of, of the stuff that we have, right? Our, our homes, our cars, our bank accounts, uh, our computers, our games, whatever it may be, none of that's really ours. We don't own that. Now, technically, by U.S. law, whatever country you find yourself in, you probably do own it, but... Um, if you think about if you think about this from the perspective of stewardship, it's all God's, everything in creation, and we're 
we're sort of on loan. Everything to us is, is on loan. And God calls us from the very beginning of Scripture to be good stewards, wise and, and careful stewards over everything that's on loan to us. Uh, that includes our, our families. It includes our finances, absolutely. It includes our gifts and talents and, and our knowledge and uh, anything, everything other, under the sun. God calls us to be good stewards over it. We have some level of responsibility for it. We are called to be good stewards. And so that's a, that's a motive uh, that we see scattered again throughout the scriptures and in the New Testament. And certainly you, you, it's valuable for us to apply that to money as well. So um, I think about this sort of thing, uh, the attitude and the motive for, for myself. And I'll, I'll try to bring it back a little bit here. Um, when I first started following Jesus, I uh, moved to Chicago and started going to the Evanston Vineyard. And which is the church that we were sent from uh, four years ago. And um, around that time, I very quickly, and I'll, I'll tell a little bit more about what, what, our, what Megan and my giving history has been. But um, uh, very quickly, uh, I got into a rhythm of giving on a regular basis. And, uh, you know, in Chicago, there, especially when you first move there, there's just loads of opportunities to go downtown and see things and, and hang out and just do the stuff, you know, and especially I was in my young 20s and, uh, you know, jumping on the L at any given whim was just a great time to, uh, the L is a train, the elevated train, to go downtown is just a, a fun thing to do. So I'd find myself downtown fairly often and, and I'd find myself, conf- not confronting, but coming across homeless men and women. And uh, they, of course, w- would ask if I had anything I could give, if I had any money. And um, I remember when this first started, I just felt, and I hadn't had that much experience with this. I had grown up in Michigan, um, not really in the heart of Detroit where you would find more of your homeless population, but out in the suburbs. So I just never really experienced a lot of that. So being in Chicago, experiencing that was really sort of a new thing for me, at least on a regular basis. And um, yeah, I just re- really remember being put off, like, what? what? You know, and you could smell maybe a little bit of alcohol or, or whatever the case may be and just... You know, I had all these judgments in my heart about, well, you're just going to use it for this, and I'm not going to give that money to you. I need it, you know, that sort of thing. And um, one day I heard a friend uh, tell, I can't remember if he told me or if it was around a group of people, but he was talking about something he had done years before. He had decided that instead of giving money out, he was going to give something more tangible, something um, that money would potentially purchase. And um, he had this idea of actually bringing food around with him and, and, and giving that out because that's generally what, what folks were asking for. At least the, the men and women that I was coming across, they were asking for money so they could go buy some food. And I thought, wow, that's a great idea, you know. Um, so the next few times that I'd go downtown to Chicago, uh, when somebody would ask me for, for money so they could buy a sandwich or whatever the case may be, I'd be like, you know what, let's just go over here to this store and I'll buy you a, a sandwich and, and hook you up. And so we'd walk over to a store, go inside, and uh, I'd say, yeah, just pick a few things out. And, you know, it actually ended up being probably more money than I would have if I had just given a dollar or something like that. But I just felt great. I was like, this is awesome. I mean, this guy or this lady is is getting a good meal out of this. And uh, I feel like my money's gone to a good good cause, to a good purpose. I feel like I've really helped out. And and I've, I've just felt good about it. You know, my attitude about giving, about sharing of my resources with the poor um, just took a 360, or a, a 180, not a 360, sorry, back in the same place. No, a 180. 
uh, you know, I was just, I was excited about it again. And, um, and so that began a trend, uh, something that I, I tried to do for, for years and years. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's not super convenient, but I think when we look at our attitude, there, there's, there's, occasionally we'll have to search. We'll have to find ways to turn our attitude because uh, our natural response to giving or sharing with others isn't always going to be like cheerful and joyful and, ah, I love sacrificing, you know? Um, sometimes it takes a little bit of work and finding uh, good solutions. So uh, that, that, you can see how that attitude sort of changed in me, and I would encourage all of us to think about that for ourselves, where we have any reservations about sharing uh, our resources with others. Um, look for ways to, to, to bless them without that rub or whatever it may be. And sometimes you have to get creative. So how about allocation? Now, one thing that was really interesting to me in reading through the New Testament, uh, specifically looking at allocation, is uh, there is there's a hierarchy in the New Testament about where you allocate your money. Um, and the first the first level, it's up there, is family. And if you look at First Timothy five eight, says. Um, if, and this is a, in a group of, of general instructions that Paul is giving to Timothy about pastoring a church. And he's specifically here giving advice about widows, elders, and slaves. And he says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow. Lay it on, Paul. That's pretty thick, isn't it? Um, so pretty clearly Paul is saying, and there's elsewhere in, in the scriptures that talk about make sure that if there, are, if there are people out there uh, that have widows in their family, they take care of them first before they give to the local community to care for the, the, the community widows, right? So um, you probably gather, if, if you don't know some of the context, there were a lot of widows uh, in, the, um, in, the, in the New Testament church, the earliest church, just a lot of widows. And um, so they had to be taken care of. That was just something that community did together. And, but we see this. We see this. The first priority is taking care of those in your own family, making sure that they are okay. So that's, um, that's the first priority that we have out of, uh, in terms of allocation, taking care of our families. The second is, is brothers and sisters or fellow believers in your own local church body or, or, or even beyond, fellow brothers and sisters of the faith. Um, Acts 4, 32 to 35, if anybody wants to follow with me. 32 to 35, chapter 4. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. And that's not the only uh, passage of Scripture in the New Testament that, that talks about um, caring for your brothers and sisters and this idea of, of common possession. Um, some church communities have gone as far today as, as saying, hey, if you want to be a part of this community, uh, we all put our money together and uh, we'll pay electric bills and all that stuff out of That's interesting. I, I'm not interested in going there um, for the vineyard, but... Just so we're all on the same page. We're not going there. Um, 
but uh, but it is interesting. There's a lot of people. There's uh, I guess groups of people out there that are really trying to pursue that con- that life of of doing church in 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 the 21st century. Um, but what we see here is that there's there's a degree of centralization that um, that the the funds are are used uh, more wisely, maybe more effectively if they're they're brought together. Uh, that again, that large uh, group uh, grouping of people in need can be cared for more effectively than if we all just sort of willy-nilly, I'm going to give to so-and-so, and and I'm going to give to so-and-so, but what happens if such-and-such doesn't get anything, and you're just hoping that everybody else gets that person? Yeah, it's just, it's not as easy. So there is some degree of centralization so that you can be more effective and uh, uh, just um, cover everyone more broadly as opposed to picking up here and there. Um, and the earliest church quickly figured out that it made sense to give directly to the local church to which um, people belonged, where they were serving and where they were being fed. That's, that's been a tradition since, um, since the earliest of church, really. Um, widows and workers are another um, category within that brothers and sisters that uh, the scriptures speak about quite a bit, and especially in the New Testament, um, that we ought to care for our widows and our workers, our brothers and our sisters. Um, 1 Corinthians 9, 13, and 14 um, talks about those, Paul talks about those who are preaching the gospel should, should, should earn their wage from the gospel. And as we look at that story or that reference in Acts about the believers sharing their possessions, there's a reference to, um, with great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And uh, un- underneath that, there's, there's an assumption that um, those apostles were being supported by the community that they were a part of, that they were going out and focusing their time, their energy, their effort on speaking the gospel powerfully in the community. And uh, with the number of believers that were joining the, the earliest church at that time, we can probably guess that they weren't um, tent-making at that point in time, which is just a reference to Paul. Paul used to uh, tent-make. Anybody familiar with that? Tent-making? It's um, bivocational, basically. He had two jobs. He preached the gospel, and he made tents and sold them. So, widows and workers, um, another section, let's see, Acts 6, 1 through 7, um, is all about the choosing of the, the seven uh, disciples who will distribute the food to the widows. So, we're having some issues in the New Testament church um, where the some certain widows were being overlooked and certain others were not. And um, so, the apostles said, all right, look, let's set aside seven um, seven people to oversee the distribution of, of resources. And um, so that was a, the, one of the earliest signs of, of um, multiple levels of hierarchy in the, in the early church, you know, where you're setting up some, some structures and systems in place to make sure you're, you're distributing the money uh, effectively. But it's talking about the widows that are part of the New Testament church. So, again, brothers and sisters that are in the church, that seems to be the second order of priority um, from the New Testament. And there's an interesting part, uh, there's an interesting thing to note about uh, that idea of, of which widows get included and which don't. If you look at 1 Timothy 5, 9 to 10, um, it, it, there is a list. It's a, and I'll just read it real quick. It's, it is interesting. Five, chapter 5, verses 9 to 10. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. 
what this says is to me is not necessarily that we okay we need to have some sort of criteria for how we distribute benevolence for instance which is something that uh, over the the centuries uh has been i guess the i guess the modern day way of saying hey we're going to spread our our um, resources out to those who are in need um it doesn't say that we ought to say okay well anybody who's over the age of 60 blah 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 what this is saying to me, because that's contextual, but what it's saying to me is that we ought to be wise in how we in how we distribute our, our resources. Um, we probably need, and I, I'm reading a little bit into this, but my guess is that there were probably some widows who would try to to benefit from their their community, um, who are trying to uh, get in, in get onto the list, so to speak, and and be cared for by the community, even though they weren't really followers of Christ or they weren't really plugged into that body. And I think that that's, you know, as you look, you, you fast forward a couple thousand years to today, um, what it means to me is that we ought to be careful with uh, with not just giving willy-nilly to anybody and everybody. Uh, we ought to be wise and and, and um, use, use sound judgment when we look at uh, how to distribute our, our money to our brothers and sisters. Okay. But basically, as you look at the, the picture here is that anyone that's within, that, that has some sort of need within the community is the second priority after family. Um, and Paul also has, throughout his letters, has um, repeated references to solicitation for, for money to be sent to the church in Jerusalem. Um, so there's, there's, clear, there's a clear precedent, I guess, for uh, the church caring for other church bodies if they're in need particular need. And this may be where uh, a lot of the modern-day mission movement comes from. Um, I haven't studied uh, missiology or the history of missions, um, but my guess is that this is one of those scriptures that, um, that they rely pretty heavily on to, to, um, to use as, as their theology or a theological reason to give money and help others overseas. Okay, so the third group in terms of allocation is the poor, and those are outside the body. Those that are in need outside the body. Uh, if you look at Matthew, I mean, the poor are all over Scripture, but you look at Matthew 19, verses 20 to 21, uh, there's a young man who wants to know what he needs to do to get eternal life, and Jesus says, uh, go sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. Right? Yeah. Uh, so this guy's not too happy about that because he has a lot of wealth. Um, there's John 13, 29, where uh, the di- disciples think that Jesus has instructed Judas. He leans over to Judas at the, the dinner table, and he tells him something. And the disciples are assuming that he's telling Judas to go give some money to the poor. So um, not that it's a command to go give money to the poor, but there's an assumption amongst the disciples. One of the first things that comes to their minds is, oh, he must be, there's a bag of money. He must be going to give money to the poor. So to me, what that says is there's, there's, uh, there's underneath it an assumption that, hey, giving to the poor is a very regular and frequent thing, something we do quite often and not abnormal in any way, shape, or form. And that's Jesus that's doing that, right? And that's the disciples who are assuming that. So we, we draw a lot of our examples for, for living and, and um, yeah, for just living from the disciples and from Jesus, of course. So those are the three, the, the three in terms of the hierarchy. It's the family, it's your brothers and sisters, and then it's the poor. And then there's the question of, uh, which I think also falls under allocation of frequency. If you look at Matthew 6, 3, uh, Jesus talks about giving such that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Um, and I always found that scripture so interesting. Like, how could I, like, it's all connected, right? 
I mean, my body, is anybody agree with me? Like, I always know what my hands are doing. Except, and I thought about this, except when I'm driving a car. I drive a manual. Does anybody else here drive a manual? Yes, there's a few of us. Awesome. Thank God for manual drivers. Um, but, you know, after you drive for years and years, a manual, right? Sorry, Matt, I know you bought a nice, fast car, and it doesn't have a stick. Um, <laughs> which is an oxymoron to me, but... <laughs> Um, but those of us who do drive manuals, if you've driven them for years, uh, you'll find yourself in traffic, and you don't even know what you're doing, right? I mean, you're just driving. You're just shifting. Your, your foot is going on the clutch. You're shifting. You're not really paying attention. You may be having a conversation with somebody next to you. You may be avoiding ice or something like that. But it just it's natural. Your left hand is on the steering wheel and doesn't really know what your right hand or your left foot are doing, right? Is that fair to say for those who have driven a, a manual before? Well, I, th- I think it's I think the scripture is saying something very similar. It, it's saying that um, we are to give on such a regular basis. It's supposed to be such a, a, a um, an integrated part of our lives that our left hand literally just doesn't even know what our right hand is doing. It's happening so frequently, so often that it's just become sort of second nature to us, right? So that when we get to and and, and by I guess by reasoning, I assume that means there's a high level of frequency, that we're frequently giving. Is that fair to say? Does that make sense, my logic? Okay, great. So that is, that is allocation. The, um, ooh, I need to get more books. Amount. Let's just cruise through this. So do I give 50% to my family, 25% to my brothers and sisters, 10% to Roger? There's, you know, what, what, is, what is my allocation? How do I break it out into those th- three groups? And, and what we see in the New Testament is there's really no prescription. There's no prescribed amount in the New Testament. Um, so we need to shy away from hard and fast rules that say you have to give this much, this, this much, or this much. Um, there are some things, as Gordon pointed out in the Old Testament, that can, that can maybe inform us and lead us in certain directions. But uh, there's no clear, like, you have to command from the New Testament that you have to do it this way. So what do we, how do we make decisions? And I think really going back to both the attitude and the allocation is, is how we determine, is how we make sense of, of, um, of what we do, what, what amount we, we go for. So insert the idea of stewardship, applying our money wisely and carefully into our family, community, and beyond, which means that we're not being wasteful, we're, not working, to, we're working to avoid bad debt, we're uh, avoiding borrowing money with ridiculously high interest rates. And note, the church should be fighting against predatory lending. That is something that is uh, an injustice in, in our culture, in our world today. And that is something I, I believe the church should be fighting against. Um, we're not harming our families by giving too much to our community or even beyond. Um, we're focusing on our real needs, you know, the food, shelter, clothing, um, and less frequent focus on our wants. Now, interesting thing, Gordon talked last week about celebrating with your tithe. There's, a, there's this, this part in the Old Testament that talks about celebrating with your tithe. And I think that, that there is, a, 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 that continues. That It doesn't mean that we're, only, we're supposed to live a life of poverty and just meet our basic needs. There are times where we use our money and our resources to have fun and enjoy uh, at a community level, within our families, and so on. Um, so we find that balance. Um, there is some sense of balance uh, in this idea of stewardship, that no one category is really being overlooked. Um, there will be times, of course, when our family is stretched and we need to shift the distribution a bit, but, but we work to get rebalanced. And over the long haul, over the years in our lives, we try to find 
a good balance of, of giving proportions to those different groupings. Um, and of course, there's, there's this idea of, if you look at stewardship, following God's lead, what he's saying about our personal money use. Is he calling me to allocate more towards the poor, a family member in need, or something like that? Um, so that's one way we can look at amount, is, is applying that idea of stewardship to the family, to uh, the body, and to beyond. There's other attitudes like generosity, sacrifice, faith. Um, sometimes we're called to give up some of the wants and even a little bit of our need to help others. Um, I mentioned that story of the poor widow giving the last of her money. She trusted in God's faithfulness, and, and, and she trusted that God would be uh, generous to, to her in response. So she was able to be generous and sacrificial herself. Um, we need to be, although, in this, as we apply these attitudes to, um, to the allocation, uh, we need to be listening to God. I, I certainly don't recommend giving up the last, as I mentioned earlier, of everything you have um, just willy-nilly. That's something that you want to be led by God on. Um, and there also, I think, when we apply these attitudes of generosity, sacrifice, and faith to those allocations, um, there may be gr- good surprises. I think Gordon talked about them getting a surprise at one point in terms of, of um, income on their home. You know, uh, give some of that away. Maybe there's a tax return you got and you weren't, you weren't expecting as much. Give some of that away. Um, so again, no exact amount given, but it's pretty clear that we're called to steward our money and, and to give portions of it away. Um, first, to our family, to, to care for our family. Second, to our community, and then third to the poor, and everything that, that those groups represent. Um, our own situation, Megan and I, we started our marriage. We just decided 10%. We're just going to do 10% pre-tax. That's just this is where we came from. We we saw that the first the pre-tax thing as being like okay. In the Old Testament, it talks about giving the first fruits. So we saw that as being the first fruits of our income. Let's give 10%. We just like the idea of of being consistent with brothers and sisters through millennia in the past and so we we decided that was our number and we stuck with it and over about five years ago we decided that uh we were going to try to up that by about a half percent every year so since then we've been going by a half percent and i hope my hope and prayer is that when we're in our 60s and 70s we're given i don't know what the math is but we're given a pretty significant portion of our income and who knows maybe god will will, will bless us with a gift of giving and and with more resources, and we'll be giving 90% of what we have. I don't know. But um, we're committed to, to, to giving more and more incrementally over the years and living in, that, in those ways um, sacrificially. That's just how we've approached it. I'm not saying everybody else needs to do it that way. So uh, finally, application. Uh, number one, I'd say take stock of our finances. Where your money is, your heart will be. That's, um, that's also from Scripture. Uh, if you look at your bank statement, um, where is it all going? You know, are, you, are you eating out a ton? You know, and is that necessarily where where all your money needs to be going? Are you buying a ton of clothes? Are you um, are you putting all your money towards the poor? And boy, you can't pay your mortgage. You know, look, take stock of where your finances are. That's the first thing. Um, secondly, ask God if your distribution is where He wants it to be. You know, this is again where having that dialogue, that relationship with God, is absolutely essential. Asking God if if He's happy with where your distribution is. And then third, ask God if you're being generous. If you're being if your heart is, is uh, if you're capturing his heart of generosity with your finances. And if not, then start working through allocating the priorities to those different priorities. That's um, certainly, it seems, like the scripture is leading us that direction. And then as a community, we pool our resources together. We take care of one another. We encourage and build each other up. That's why we have, like, worship gatherings, small groups, 
uh, and any a variety of other things, is, is to care for our community, our brothers and sisters. And we look after the poor in our community as well. We set a, and we'll talk about this at the meeting, we set a 10% target for outreach and benevolence last year. And we hit like 9.8 something percent, so we're really, really close. Um, but we, we want to stretch ourselves as a community to do these things and care for others. But all of this, as a community, takes some money. And so my encouragement is to allocate some of those finances that you have to the vineyard. If you consider this your, your home church, the church through which you serve and, and from which you uh, receive any sort of blessing, then determine a percentage. And I think Gordon mentioned this last week. Take a target and work towards it and give. Give regularly. And, and we as a community can, can be blessed and we can bless others because uh, we all have some skin in the game.